Is there even such a thing as women's work? Isn't that a backward idea? Hi, I'm Misty Winkler, and you're listening to Simply Convivial. At Simply Convivial, I want to help you beat overwhelm and perfectionism through simple baby steps so that you can love being a homemaker. You can have both peace and productivity as a mom at home. And of course, an important way to embrace both peace and productivity is to engage with women's work. It really is a thing. I know when I was young, it seemed like to even suggest that there was such a thing as women's work was considered backward, oppressive, dumb. Now the noisemakers of culture have moved on to trying to say that you can't even say what a woman is with certainty, much less women's work. So can we just abandon their skepticism then? They've proven their aims and trajectory. As Christians, we know that women are created by God in his image with certain biological distinctives that separate and distinguish us from men. Maybe that means that there's certain particular work for us to do, duties to fulfill, specific to our design. So grab a basket of laundry to fold and let's dig in. God not only created humans, male and female, he created work for them. God gave them both a job, a responsibility, a set of duties as part of their created order. Before sin even entered the world, there was work. In the perfect garden, mankind had a job. So if God made women, and God made work, and both are good, did he make any distinctions or specifications for women's work? Let's search scripture and not cultural expectations, not from the 2020s or the 1920s or the 1820s to get an answer to that question. After all, Many women, especially Christian women, struggle with home management, with motherhood, with figuring out what we ought to be doing. There is a shocking lack of direction and instruction in the Christian world today for women who want to be faithful to Christ above all else. The gospel touches and transforms our whole lives. When we are justified, God also begins sanctifying us, which means bringing us into greater conformity with his revealed will. Therefore, we must know and love God's revealed will, scripture, and we must seek to live it out day by day. 
Both women and men have the duty to love God with all their hearts, minds, and strength. Both men and women have the call and ability to know God more and more deeply and personally through prayer and scripture and corporate worship. The fruit of the Spirit applies equally to men and to women, but the opportunities and expression of that fruit will be different. God made men and women different by nature, fundamentally, and gives them different roles so that together, male and female, we better image the glory and complexity of God himself, who is triune. Thus, ultimate reality, God himself, is both unity and diversity, not monotony, not chaos, but harmony. And it turns out that the Bible has a thing or two to say about the duties of women. There are multiple places that we could turn to and many additional implications that we could draw. But one passage alone gives us as wives and mothers a comprehensive glimpse of our job description. Titus 2, 3 through 5. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, nor slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Obviously, those things that will characterize us when we are old must be practiced when we are young and middle-aged. We won't wake up one day as old women and automatically overnight suddenly have the capacity to be reverent and self-controlled. This admonition to older women is paralleled in the qualifications for widows to receive church support. Let the widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children and has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. And the caution against enrolling younger women echoes Titus. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. In these passages, God makes it clear what honors him. We often assume that the seats and positions of honor bestow honor, but that's thinking with worldly wisdom and ignoring what scripture plainly says about honor and the way that God works. God, however, lets us in on his plan, and he makes it plain to those whose eyes look to his word. The public, visible work is, in a way, a decoy from the real place where the kingdom grows. Individual families in homes, a collection of individual seeds that don't look like much, 
but have the potential to burst forth into fruit when planted, tended, and cultivated. The real work of the kingdom is done by parents with their children, by fathers providing for their wives and their children, by mothers nurturing and raising up the next generation, by children honoring their parents and growing up themselves to follow suit more and more. God tells women that our duty is the home, and that does not keep us small nor minimize us. It's not the case that God realized that someone had to do the menial upkeep, so he made women. God tells women to cultivate a fruitful life from their own home base because they are the cultivators of beauty and glory. God made women to beautify and glorify and multiply whatever resources they are given. Women are propagators. One of the most obvious characteristics of women is that we have the capacity to bear children. Of course, some women's bodies are frail, broken, or break in or after childbirth, but that doesn't erase the biological reality. Women's bodies are set up to have babies. In women's unique capacity to bear children, we find a larger analogy or a metaphor for women's work. Women grow things. Women cultivate. Women propagate. The woman having people over for dinner is cultivating gospel community. Women making meals for the elderly and the ill, the new mothers, are fostering gospel community. Women caring for children who are not even their own children. Women hosting celebrations of marriage and babies. Women cleaning and beautifying the church facilities. Without these activities, there is no community. Such is women's work. Without women, there would be no humanity. In more ways than one. As Chesterton said, the business done in the home is nothing less than the shaping of the bodies and souls of humanity. Of course that's happening when a mother cares for her small children, but it's also happening when older women focus on their calling as well. Older women, Titus tells us, are still to consider the home their primary work, through which they teach younger women, they care for the afflicted, they show hospitality, and devote themselves to every good work. What starts in a microcosm of a nuclear family expands later in life into being an involved grandmother for the whole church body. The provision for widows by the church implies that even when no longer active, they are devoting themselves to prayer for the church. They are still spiritual mothers, nurturers, caregivers. Mothers get promoted. They don't retire. What we learn on the training ground of a home full of small people, we use to bless the house of the Lord, full of people of all sorts. Families and the church need the distinctive work of both fathers and mothers, biological and spiritual. 
Neither families nor churches flourish under androgynous uniform work that ignores the difference in form and call between men and women. Women are to teach. Women aren't called to lead the church as pastors or elders. God tells us that he doesn't do that. But that doesn't mean that women aren't teachers. God calls some men, not all, to be elders and deacons and pastors. But God calls all women to teach younger women, to instruct sons and daughters at home, to speak with wisdom in order to build rather than tear down their houses. Women's words are powerful. Just because they don't come from a pulpit does not mean they are not necessary or wise or valuable. Notice how clearly the passages above speak about women's words. Women are to keep silent in the spotlight of the worship service, but they're not to keep silent in all times and places. Women are not to stay out of the pulpit because they're not able or equipped to teach, but because they are to receive instruction in worship rather than give it. Women take that instruction home and embody it, beautify it in expression, apply it to the children, literal and metaphorical, in her care, and multiply it in manifest and manifold ways. What we receive with quiet hearts, we then work out in bustling, fruitful ways. Women's work is gospel work. Notice that Titus says that when women follow their callings, they stop the mouths of those who slander Christ. Are you appalled at the news right now? Are you angry at the evildoers controlling so much of the world? Are you indignant at those who mock Christ? Rightly so. God says, double down in your home to stop their mouths. This is how God chooses to work in the world, in cultures, in societies. He works through the fruit of everyday faithfulness. And the work in the home is so important that half of humanity is dedicated to it. In Ephesians, God tells us that a husband and wife are a picture of Christ and his church. Men image Christ when they sacrifice themselves in love for their wife and children. Women image the church when they take what they've been given and glorify it and multiply it in fruitful obedience. Together, husband and wife proclaim the gospel like a light on a hill. If we want a strong church, We need strong women dedicating themselves to fruitful homes. The state of women reflects the state of the church. Are we doing our duty or are we making up our own way in the world? To influence the state of the church, women don't need to get into the pulpits. They need to get into the kitchen, into the laundry room, into the grocery stores, into their children's business, and show the world what glory really looks like. So time's up for this episode of Simply Convivio. 
Convivial is exactly what we want our homes to be. Full of life, lively, festive, friendly, enjoyable. We as moms are the atmosphere of our homes. So to have convivial homes, we have to be convivial. That means the first thing we have to put in order is our own hearts. We have to organize our attitudes before we can organize anything else. My goal with every short episode here is to help you do just that, one small step at a time, maybe even while folding a basket of laundry or washing a sink full of dishes. Yes, even while doing that women's work. Do you feel uncertain about what your work at home really even needs to be? There's so much of it that you can't focus on any of it. What you need is a brain dump. I have a free brain dump guide that will help you clear the clutter from your head so you can use your mind for having ideas, for creative problem solving, for thinking, and not for holding information and reminders or nagging obligations. Go to simplyconvivial.com slash braindump to download the complete brain dump guide and clear your mind for action. Then you'll be better able to repent, rejoice, repeat.